1 Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bibles and would like to turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read a couple verses. See what the Lord has to say to us this morning. This has been an interesting week. So much the tragedies uh, of week before last uh, that have been so real and how that they have affected uh, churches. This is very, very trying times for the ministry, for the churches. And um, as we navigate into uncharted waters of our future, but we must do so with faith, knowing that God has never left the church alone, but that this is his church and that he founded and started this church and uh, he purchased it with his own blood. And he said that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And so my words to you today, stay with the church because it's destined to glory. I want to stay in something that is steadfast, stable, unmovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Amen. And in this hour in which we live is sin is so rampant around us, and regardless what people say, and regardless what laws and governments say, we understand that the Word of God has the final say. And we stand firmly on the Word of God. And uh, I had originally asked Brother Danny to, to speak on Wednesday night, and uh, I am feeling compelled to take that Wednesday night back from him. I know he'll be okay with that. Uh, but I am feeling compelled to take that Wednesday night back from him to speak on a subject that is very, very relevant to society and where we live and some of the things that is facing the church. And I want to talk to you about that on Wednesday night. So I'm going to spend some time on Wednesday night to talk to the church. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be uh, a pastor candid moment to the church. And uh, I want to speak to you on Wednesday night about some of the things that the church is facing, what it means to us, and how we are going to navigate uh, into our future and what God has in store for us. Revival, ladies and gentlemen, is now. Revival is now. It's not, it's not, revival is not coming. We are living in the last days. And revival is upon us. And how we respond to these moments is so very critical to the future. I believe that God is going to reach into the very depth of sin. And there is going to be a revolution, a revival that is going to sweep our nation. That God is going to call people out of darkness into his marvelous light. And if God is going to do that, and I believe he is, we as a church must be prepared for that revival. We must be ready for that revival. And we must be doing everything we can 
in preparation for that revival. It doesn't matter what the background is, where they come from, what their last name is, what the economic status is. God came to seek and to save that which is lost. And uh, we believe that revival is coming. It is upon us. And so I'm going to be talking to you a little bit Wednesday night about some of those very important things that is relating to our future. And uh, I hope you, um, you nudge your neighbor this morning and tell them be sure to uh, get off work in time to be here. I'm uh, not going to want to miss Wednesday night. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read two verses, verses 18 and 19, and then I'm going to read from Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Just touch on a few scriptures here before we get into the word of the Lord today. First Peter chapter 1, for as much as you know, verse 18, for as much as you know that we were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the spotless blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hebrews the ninth chapter verse 22 says almost all things belong purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. I want to preach for a little while by the help of the Lord today and I do see the time and I, I, I will be mindful of the time but I do feel that I, I the Lord uh, the Lord just kind of tore me up yesterday and last night and I dealt with so many emotions that were running through and I couldn't even sleep last night in preparation for today. And I, I want to preach what the Lord has laid on my heart today. So if you'll give me the time, I'll promise to never give it back to you. But I want to preach for a little while what the Lord has laid upon my heart. The only antidote for sin. The only antidote for sin. God help us this morning to preach what you have put upon our heart. Let the word of God rest deeply upon every heart, every mind, every spirit today. Lord, that you may accomplish the purpose for which you are sending it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. He lived in Europe during the time of what is known as the Black Plague or the Plague of Black Diphtheria. His name was Dr. Felix Rue. Dr. Rue was one of the truly outstanding physicians of his day. One by one, he witnessed them by the thousands who died of the dreaded disease of black diphtheria. Eventually, it made its way to his household and even his own granddaughter became affected by this cruel disease. The man with all the training and expertise in the medical field was helpless as he watched in horror as his granddaughter eventually died from a disease that no one could seem to find a cure for. 
knowing that it would only be a matter of time until the entire continent would be wiped out, he decided that he was going to be the one that found the cure or he was going to die trying to find the cure. He did everything within his power, everything that he could possibly imagine. As a matter of fact, Dr. Ruth became so radical in his approach in his desperation to find a cure for the plague that crossed the lines, that he lost, he lost his license to practice medicine because of his unconventional methods in which he was approaching the discovery of a cure for this killer disease. Driven on to find the cure he built a lab in the woods outside of Paris and continued his study. He thought that perhaps he could find some animal that could survive the plague and by studying that animal, he may be able to discover an antidote that would stop the, the spread of this killer disease. He looked out in the field and he saw his own horses and Something clicked in his mind and he ordered his assistant to go and round all of his horses up and he took a vial of deadly toxin of the disease of black diphtheria and with a needle in hand he infected all 18 of his horses. Eventually all but one of his horses died. The final horse wearily laid down, which was a sign that the end of its life was very near. The, the doctor, overcome with sadness and exhaustion, alerted his assistant that he was going to go to his room and rest for a while. But he asked his assistant to stay up and to keep his eye on the horse. And he said, alert me when, when the horse expires. A few hours later, the doctor was awakened by his assistant, but instead of the horse dying, he declared that the horse got back up. Within a few days, the horse recovered completely and overcame this disease that had been injected into its body. Dr. Rue, with his great medical skills knew that there was something in the blood. And so he drew from the blood, he drew blood from the vein of the horse that had underwent this disease and recovered. And he drew the blood from the horse and immediately rushed into a medical ward in Paris that held 200 babies that were infected with the disease of black diphtheria. When he got there, they began to try to stop him. The nurses and those in power began to tell him that he could not be there, that he had no license to, to, to practice medicine in their facilities, but he ignored them and quickly ran throughout the facility injecting 200 babies with the blood from 
the surviving force. Remarkably, all but eight of the 200 babies that were inoculated with this antidote survived. Dr. Rue now had found the antidote for black diphtheria. People all over the world began to praise him. His Now the man that had lost his ability to practice medicine is now known as a hero because he discovered the antidote that would wipe out the disease that was wiping out the entire continent. All that were sick, all of the dying, all of the hopeless, all that they had to do was to encounter the blood of one who had already overcome the disease. Can I preach to you this morning that all that ails the world and all that ails America and all that ails you and I and all that comes against us, there is only one antidote. There is only one answer. And there is only one response. Because regardless if they are sick, afflicted, dying, or hopeless, sin-sick hearts, whatever it may be, needs to encounter the blood of the one who overcame the world. Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, is the only answer for the world. Yes, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. I come this morning to preach to you for a little while that the only hope for the sin problem in the world is that the world is introduced to the blood of Jesus Christ, the one that overcame sin, the one that, that, that survived all the impact of the world and he took the cup in his hand in the garden and he drank the cup. He who knew no sin became sin for us, taking on himself the sin of the world he who had walked sinless in this life now took on our sin willfully why would he do that why possibly would the scripture say that he was tempted in all points like as we are yet he was found without sin there's only one answer for that ladies and gentlemen it's because every temptation that you have ever faced and every temptation that you have never faced but someone else has ever faced when someone says well you have to understand my background you have to understand my upbringing you have to understand what goes on you have to understand where I was born you have to understand how I was born you have to understand how I was raised you have to understand what goes on in my mind you have to understand everything about me the scripture said Jesus dealt with every temptation that has ever 
overcome against mankind. He took the sin of that temptation upon himself and he bled and he died on a cross that there may be an antidote for that sin. Ladies and gentlemen, I come to tell you this morning that every sin from Adam to Moses and from Moses to the setting up of the kingdom was paid for on the cross of Calvary. The world needs the blood of Jesus. The world needs the blood of Jesus. May I introduce you, if you don't know him this morning, may I introduce you to Jesus Christ. He has overcome the world. Jesus is the only antidote for the sin problem of the world. Government can't pass enough laws nor hand down enough mandates to rid the world of sin. The blood of Jesus is the only antidote for sin. The church has at its disposal, ladies and gentlemen, a name that is above every name. Someone said to me some time ago, several years ago, they said the difference between us and you, talking about denominational barriers, said uh, you apostolics magnify the name, but we magnify the blood. I looked at them and said, let me tell you something. You can't magnify the blood without magnifying the name. And you can't magnify the name without magnifying the blood. Because the blood of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, is the only cleansing blood. The only way for man to be saved is through the blood of Jesus. The sick could not be cured by weeping. They were required to be inoculated with the blood of the one that had encountered it and survived it. You can stand and weep over sin until your tears form puddles at your feet. But no sin will ever be washed away by tears alone. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You've got to have the blood of Jesus to rid your life of sin. It's the only antidote for sin. Science has tried to disclaim it. Society tries to ignore it. Government tries to legislate it. Religions try to avoid it. But the songwriter said it, said it right when he said, The blood will never lose its power. Every generation, the blood of Jesus is just as strong today as it was when he shed the first drop. When the last drop fell, ladies and gentlemen, the blood still is powerful. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary. It's the blood that gives me strength to go from day unto day. And it will never, ever, ever lose. It's power. I wish somebody would get excited about the blood of Jesus today. It's impossible for the sin of any man to be forgiven without 
the shedding of blood. This truth has been known since the first generation of mankind. As soon as man sinned, God taught man that he needed a sacrifice. Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves, but that was not a sufficient covering. Soon God made the first sacrifice and killed two animals, shedding their blood, and God covered them in the skins of the animals uh, for clothing, and the animals' lives were sacrificed for uh, for them to be able, for Adam and Eve to be able to, 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 to cover their nakedness or their sin. When the sons of Adam, Cain, and Abel had grown up, Cain brought forth a sacrifice from the toil of his hands, the fruits of the earth. But Abel brought forth a sacrifice of an animal from the field. The two learned quickly that the only sacrifice that God could accept was a blood sacrifice. Cain tried to take blood out of the equation, but to Cain and his sacrifice of the fruit of the ground, the scripture said God had no respect. There was a man by the name of Job who lived even before Noah, Abraham, and Isaac. The Bible records that he offered sacrifice for his children because he feared that they had offended God while they were feasting. He did not think nor did any of those ancient men who feared God think of finding acceptance with God and forgiveness for their sin without the shedding of blood. They knew that it required blood. As a matter of fact, the concept of sacrifice is so universally held in Scripture that whatever culture that you want to research, wherever there is any concept of God, you will find in some form of their worship that there will be the requirement of blood. When the Old Testament law was finally revealed to man, it was again confirmed the blood sacrifice for sin was going to be necessary in order for their sin to be rolled ahead. The Lord dedicated the 27 chapters from the book of Leviticus to explain to the Hebrew children how that he wanted them to worship him from the very first thought in the first chapter there was a mention of blood sacrifice in Leviticus the first chapter in verse 1 and the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation saying speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them if there be any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord ye shall bring your offering of the cattle even of the herd and of the flock. Verse 3 and his offering to a burnt sacrifice of the herd let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord and he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt 
burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Verse 5, and he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priest Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. In the book of Leviticus alone, there are 89 references of the blood. This is just in one book that makes up 66 books that makes up your Bible. I would say that the blood has always been important. If you were to go back in time and visit the tabernacle of the Old Testament, the most prominent thing about it would capture your attention would be the golden laver or the golden candlesticks or the covering of skins. But the one thing that would impact your senses the most from the time you got near to the tabernacle until the time you left. We talk a lot about the anointing. We talk a lot about the holy Shekinah glory of God. But there's one thing that we must never walk away from the tabernacle and that is that there was blood. There was blood from the door all the way through. There was blood. I don't know if you realize that the tabernacle which was praised for its beauty must have looked hideous by the end of the day. This holy edifice must have needed constant arrangement for its cleansing because the continual sacrifices offered there was so much so that there was a constant, consistent shedding of blood and sprinkling of blood. The most sacred thing that a worshiper in the Old Testament era could do was to be involved in the presenting of the blood before the Lord. It was held for the highest of highest offices to present the blood unto the Lord. But Jesus Christ himself became the the, the sacrifice for mankind. And the high priest, our high priest, offered a sacrifice once and for all for mankind. And the highest order of business of that day was not the nails in his hand or the spears in his side or the thorns on his head or the stripes upon his back but the crowning moment was the shedding of blood because without the shedding of blood Hebrews said there is no remission I come to preach to you this morning let the world go by let the world say what they don't argue whatever they want but I come this morning to present one thing that cannot be argued out of scripture without the shedding of blood there is no remission the world needs the blood of Jesus the church needs the blood of Jesus you and I need the blood of Jesus for without the shedding of blood there is no remission I come today to tell you I need the blood when I wake up of a morning I need the blood as I go about the day I need the blood covering my life when I lay my head on my pillow at night I need him in the morning I need him at noontime and I need him all day long oh there's something about the blood ladies and gentlemen that we must get a grip on you cannot be saved without the blood somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise today Woo. 
I just feel like reaching back this morning and grabbing one of those old hymns and just breaking out a cappella if I can this morning. Oh, for there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Oh, there is power, power, there's wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Oh, somebody give the Lord a shout of praise today. I go back this morning and relate the story that I opened with. And I relate it in comparison to the blood of Jesus. The sick could not be cured, but promising that they would never again be exposed to the disease again. They had to have the antidote of the blood. The sick couldn't be cured by an activist making other people aware of the dangers of the disease. They had to have the blood or they would die. The sick could not be cured by studying medicine and knowing what needed to be done. They had to be inoculated with the blood. The sick could not be cured by confessing their sickness to a doctor. They had to have the blood. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I come this morning to preach to you that we can try to hide our children from all of the sin of the world. Somebody yesterday made a statement and said, we got to have Christian schools. We've got to reinstate Christian schools and Christian educators. We've got to raise up educational systems. We've got to, you can do whatever you want, but education's not going to save our children. It's going to require the blood of Jesus. Somebody said, well, what we've got to do is we've got to be proactive and we've got to become active. We've got to get on social media. We've got to have our own campaign. We have got to do our own things. We've got to promote and push like never before. But I come this morning to tell you that all the promotion and all the pushing and all the political campaigns cannot do what the blood of Jesus can do. The world needs the blood applied to their life. I come today to tell you that you can do all the studying and have all the scripture in place that you want to have in place. I heard somebody say if we'll start, if we'll do this, if we'll do that, if we'll get this program or that program if we'll go back to the basis of, of a Bible study like we used to and get the word that I come today to tell you you can know the, all the scripture you want to know and you can still be lost but you've got to have the blood of Jesus applied to your life we just need the world to realize that they're lost and undone. But I come today to tell you that confessing your sins is not going to save you. You've got to have the blood applied to your life. Abraham and Isaac climbs up the mountain. 
they get up to the top of the mountain. There's going to be a sacrifice. Isaac come from a wonderful lineage. He was probably a smart lad. He gets a little nervous. Dad, here's the wood. <laughs> Where's the sacrifice? Whew. I left you out of that little part of the story, Abraham must have said. Son, the Lord told me to bring you up the mountain. But then the scripture makes a shift and Abraham actually says to Isaac, Son, God will provide himself a lamb for a sacrifice. This was the assurance of Abraham to Isaac. But there is still a sweeter assurance today. God literally robed himself in flesh and became our sacrificial lamb. God himself came to the world and the world knew it not. He who was offended by man's sin came down to his own creation and took the offensive sin upon himself. And when your Savior and mine walked up Calvary's hill of sorrow, he walked there carrying every sin upon himself. Think about that this morning. He came to his own creation because the sacrifice had to be made or there would never be an antidote for sin. He took upon himself a human body, spotless, without the sinful curse of the first Adam. And here he lived as a man, a perfect man. He was God, creator, in body of flesh and blood. And when he had reached the appointed time, he offered himself upon, as a sacrifice upon an old rugged cross as the ultimate sacrifice for atonement of sin. And he announced to the world around him, for no man takes my life. Hmm. I lay it down. Can I come today and tell you that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church? Can I come today and tell you that hell could not have taken his life had he not have laid it down? But he loved the sinner so much that he laid his life down and said, I will go and sacrifice my own son for you and I. Oh, what a, what a sacrifice. Hebrews said, by the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So with the shedding of blood, there is remission. But Acts chapter 2 tells us that baptism is for the remission of sin. Mm. 
These aren't contradicting scriptures. Absolutely not. I hear harmony in the word of God. If our sins are remitted in baptism, then baptism is clearly where the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to our lives. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What program can the church come up with that's going to change America? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can I say or do that's going to make a difference? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Pastor, what do you suggest? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, I come this morning to tell you we can overcome the world. John 16 says we can overcome the world because he overcame the world. Romans chapter 12 said we can overcome evil because he overcame evil. 1 John chapter 2 said we can overcome the wicked one because he overcame the wicked one. Isaiah 25 said we can overcome the death and corruption because he overcame death and corruption. Romans chapter 5 said we can escape the punishment of sin because he took it upon himself. I came to tell you there is hope for the world. I come to tell you that the darker the night the brighter the light. I come to tell you that there is still hope for the world because there is blood still flowing from Calvary. There is blood still offered to cleanse sin. There is blood still available for you and I. We are given hope in the midst of hopelessness. Ephesians chapter 2 said that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. <laughs> I leave one final statement with you in this message this morning. There is only one thing that separates you and I from the rest of the world. Only one thing. Well, it's my thinking. It's my education. It's my morals. Those are all good things to have. But there's only one thing that separates you from the rest of the world. There's only one thing that has brought you nigh, and it is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. 
what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And oh, precious is the That makes me white as snow. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you've never been baptized, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism, I want to invite you this morning to have an encounter with the blood of Jesus. For when you repent, he's faithful and just to forgive sin. But in water baptism is your sin removed. And the guilt that is associated with that sin is washed away in the waters of baptism. And the blood of Jesus is applied to your life. We have robes, we have towels, we have warm water this morning. And we're ready. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you ought to come in contact with the blood of Jesus today. Oh, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And oh, precious is the flow that made White as snow, no other fault I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And thank God for the blood. Thank God. For the blood, thank God for the blood that washes white as snow. Oh, thank God for the blood. Oh, thank God for the blood. Oh, thank God 
God washes white as snow. There is power, power. There's wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, there is power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Oh, there is power, power, wonder working power in the There is power in the blood. There is.